Miracy. I would not ever do a course or a session or a workshop anymore without breakout rooms. I feel like that's the part that is the most powerful in people learning, not only from me, I feel like I'm not the only one with expertise and wisdom here. There's so much more knowledge in the room, and if I'm the only one talking, then I'm kind of taking something away from what the group could learn. Hello and welcome to Course Lab, the show that teaches creators like you how to make better online courses. I'm Ari Ini, the Director of Growth at Miracy, and I'm here with my co-host, Abe Crystal, the co-founder of Rizuku. Hey, Abe. Hey there, Ari. In each episode of Course Lab, we showcase a course and creator who is doing something really interesting, either with the architecture of their course or the business model behind it, or both. Today, we welcome Jan Keck to the show. Jan Keck is a master facilitator of connections and the creator of Ask Deep Questions. Thanks for joining us today, Jan. Nice to be here. So to kick us off, could you give us kind of a 30,000 foot view of yourself and how you came to the course building industry? I recently started introducing myself as a recovering shy guy because I realized that there's things that happened when I was growing up that led me to where I am today and all the work that I'm doing right now. And a lot of it had to do with being a person that definitely had the right answer, but not the courage to raise my hand. And I feel like there were lots of places where just being shy or being more quiet felt like it was holding me back from doing the things that I wanted to do. And there were only a few times where there was a person, let's say the person who was facilitating, who was standing in the front of class, who would actually probe me and invite me to contribute and make sure that I feel part of the group. And now I'm realizing, hey, that's what I want to teach others. I want to teach others how they can make sure that nobody feels left out, that all the voices in a room are heard, that we don't force people into doing something that they're not ready to do. And one of the things I'm focusing a lot right now is talking about icebreakers and how for some people that just moves way too fast. And I probably was one of them when I was growing up where I had to introduce myself in a fun way. And the closer it got to being in my turn, the faster my heart would beat and like the more anxious I would get because I didn't know what to say and I didn't want to be the center of attention. And now when I design workshops, when I design trainings, when I run courses, which mostly are life cohort based courses, I keep that in mind that there are people in my session that might not be the ones who unmute and raise their hand and share and contribute. So that's kind of the short story in how I got to where I am today. So tell us a little bit more about the program. So is it for those people who are trying to create connections and not be the shy guy, as it were? Or is it around something else? I mostly focus on working with people who run either meetings, trainings, or workshops. So you can already see it's quite a large group. But at the same time, I say they have to value the connections between the participants. Like if there's someone who just wants to deliver content and has like a PowerPoint slide deck ready to go and they're just going to talk for an hour without any interaction, that's not a person that I can really help. But once you start making it interactive, once you start connecting the participants to each other, then I think you can unlock so much more learning and create more of an experience for everyone. Yeah, creating community, I feel, is one thing that can make a huge difference in outcomes for people. So can you tell us a little bit more about how you support the facilitators and the trainers to actually do that within the groups that they're working with. Yeah, it's a very wide range of 
kind of areas that people work in. Some of them work with organizations and they come in to do a workshop with a team that knows each other really well, but they don't have trust built with them coming in as the trainer or the facilitator. And then other times it's ongoing cohorts, kind of like what I'm doing, where they need to build trust ideally in the beginning. And then that hopefully carries on the further you go down the road. And when I think about building trust, not only with a group, but also between people, I often think about the trust battery. It's something that was made popular by the CEO of Shopify. And he talks about the idea that when you first meet someone, either your trust battery is all the way empty, meaning like you don't trust anyone. They have to really build up that trust with everything that they do and have to make promises and then hold their promises to kind of fill that battery up. Other people, their battery starts all the way full. And whenever they disappoint you, the battery goes emptier a little bit. And then there's people who are like, it's 50-50. Like, I'm not going to decide right now. Just show me what you got. And with every interaction, it either increases or decreases. So when you're thinking about that in your head, how do you start building trust with people? You have to assume that some people, they're already full, some people are starting empty, and some people are starting right in the middle. So ideally, you'll be setting the right expectations and then meeting those expectations. So I talk a lot about that, especially in online courses where I know some of my clients, they've realized that people just drop off when they start saying, okay, everybody, we're going to go to breakout room. And half of the time, I think it's because everybody was just with their cameras off, folding their laundry, just listening into the content, thinking, oh, this is going to be like a typical webinar. I can do other things. I can do multitasking. And then when they have to go to breakout rooms, they're like, oh, but I wasn't ready for that. I'm dressed in my pajamas. I can't be on camera. And then they drop off. So if we set expectations ahead of time that this will be interactive, this will be different, then you'll have a lot more people sticking around. So, I mean, that's the beginning of it, setting expectations. So they all come prepared and primed. Is there anything else that you would recommend just as an example to our listeners around their own journeys with course creation and building community and trust within their cohorts? Yeah. One of the bigger mistakes I see people make who hosts a meeting or a gathering of some sort, which happens in the first couple of seconds when the first people join in. That is the sentence, let's just wait until everyone has arrived. I'm sure you've heard the sentence before, maybe you've said it before, and there is one big problem that comes from that, which is all the people who showed up on time, what are they going to do now? First of all, they feel like I'm being penalized for showing up on time. You said it's going to start at 8. I'm here at 8, so why are we not getting started? So they start to get into a little bit of a bad mood. Then they're probably going to get their phone out, start checking their emails, surfing on social media, doing something else. And when you actually want to get started, once the majority is here, then you're going to have a really hard time getting them out of whatever they're doing. So those first few minutes to me are really crucial in setting the tone for what's about to come. And if it is going to be interactive, then we need to be engaging people as they're logging in. And there's lots of different things we can do. I would say the easiest is start off with a question. Have people comment in the chat and just respond to a simple question that you can then comment on. There's other tools I'd love to use that create word clouds that are a little bit more visual than just using the chat. And I think you can find things easily that are connected to the content that you're about to deliver. So it feels like you're starting on time. And for the few people who show up a few minutes later, they're still able to join the session. So that's why I often call these first few minutes the unofficial start. Interesting. And it sounds like through that kind of engagement, that unofficial start, you're creating trust between the people you're uh, presenting to and the presenter. 
is there an element also creating trust within the group itself in that process? Yeah, for sure. Because when people start engaging and they start sharing, they will notice similarities between them. Ideally, if, of course, people have their cameras on and you can see people's faces, it's going to be a lot easier to spot different similarities if you're asking people to share where they're located. It's not the deepest and not the greatest question to always start out. But if you notice, oh, we're both in Toronto, we're both in New York, you'll feel a little bit more connected to that person. And if you then get into a breakout room, hopefully sooner than later with that person or with someone else, you feel like, okay, I already know a little bit about who else is here. And you mentioned breakout rooms a couple times now. So having that process of time within the group for themselves to interact with each other, how important would you say that is within course building and kind of giving those opportunities versus just teaching outright and leaving it there? I would not ever do a course or a session or a workshop anymore without breakout rooms. I feel like that's the part that is the most powerful in people learning, not only from me, like in most of the rooms that I teach, most of the Zoom calls or whatever platform you use, I feel like I'm not the only one with expertise and wisdom here. There's so much more knowledge in the room. And if I'm the only one talking, then I'm kind of taking something away from what the group could learn. And most of the learning, I think, happens when you hear an idea or you experience something and you have a moment to debrief it. And it's very often much easier to debrief with a smaller group rather than doing it with a large group. Going back to making sure that nobody feels left out. If I say, okay, I don't know who has a question or who wants to share something, it's probably always going to be the same two or three people that will raise their hand throughout a cohort, throughout a session. And I'm very thankful to those people because without them, it would be much quieter. But at the same time, just unmuting and sharing your opinion is not the only way participants can contribute. We have the chat, we have breakout rooms with different polls, and I try to use a wide range of different methods. And breakout rooms has the ability for every person to share something, ideally get acknowledged and feel seen and heard by the other person who was there. Because I can't do that for every single person in the main room. Like if we have 30 students, 30 participants, and everybody shares something, even if it's just for a minute, that's going to be a half an hour. So it's not very time effective. But in breakout rooms, I could do pairs, and I think it will be more impactful on the participants. Awesome. There's a lot here, right? There's a lot of ideas, a lot of directions people could go in. For people who are, are newer to this, maybe people who are looking to add live sessions, live facilitation to a course they're already doing, or maybe they're starting from scratch, right? Maybe they're creating their first pilot course, for example. Do you have a framework or a way of thinking around where do you start? How would you guide someone to sort of plan the first live class they're going to teach in a cohort-based course or the first live workshop they're going to do? Yeah. To me, a lot of the work that I focus on is the beginning of a session or the beginning of a cohort because everybody's content is going to be different. The one thing I always go back to whenever I'm designing something is I have a little campfire behind me that I built. And to me, creating an experience is much like building a campfire where I might have this big log that I want to light up because it will provide the most warmth. It will create the biggest fire. But if I just held a lighter up to that log, nothing would happen. Just too big for that small flame to do anything. So I have to start with something that's very easy to burn. Let's say my paper, my tinder, and then add little sticks, 
little bigger sticks, my kindling all on top. And by the end, I can put that big log on the fire. So when I design something, I always think about, well, what is that big log? What is that thing that might be the most uncomfortable for my participants, for my students to do, but also has the biggest impact on the session? So I'm kind of reverse engineering, okay, what are the things that I need to do before that? And ideally, the first thing is going to be very easy. It's not going to involve a lot of risk for people to take. And then I'm slowly increasing the risk. Let's say if I just have them share something in the chat is much easier than connecting with someone in a breakout room. It's much easier than speaking in front of the whole group and unmuting yourself. So I always layer it in that way. Do you have like an example of that from one of your own sessions? Yeah. For example, let's actually take the session that I'm teaching right after this interview today. I'm in the middle of a cohort that basically is teaching that concept of how you build that campfire. It's called ice melter. So it's kind of taking ice breakers and flipping that on its head. Breaking the ice is way too fast for a group. If you want them to feel connected and get more comfortable, melting the ice is a slower process. It takes longer. And we're in a session where we talk about this big log. And I want them to experience what that big log could be. So in the session, we're actually going to have a conversation about what are some of the things that worry each person right now the most in your personal life. I know this is going to be a very vulnerable conversation to have. And I know people will not be ready to have that if we just start it. Everybody come in. Nice to see you. Okay, what's the biggest worry that you have right now? It will not work. So... I'm kind of building the session up and we will talk about how do you build trust with another person? Because in the end, that's the reason why I want them to share this is when we share something as vulnerable as this, my intention is we'll realize we're not that different from each other. We all worry about similar things and we all want similar things out of our life. So that's kind of the lesson I want them to understand. So everything that I do beforehand needs to be aligning to that. For example, using the tool that I'm using to collect these answers, which is gonna be anonymous. So it makes it easier for people to be honest and truthful. I will be using that tool at the beginning of the session with a different purpose, much easier, just like check in how connected you feel to each other right now on a scale from one to 10. Later we'll be using it for them to actually share and I'll give them time to kind of write their answers. And after that, we do the breakout room where they get to debrief with one or two other people. And after that, that's when the first time we'll have a conversation with the whole group in the main room. So we're kind of layering it up to that conversation at the end that hopefully will lead to the learning I want them to have. Something that comes to mind to me is that for, I think that a lot of entrepreneurs who are going into course building are starting to teach, might not have a lot of experience with it. Their immediate reaction might be to take away the interaction just because you can't control what people will do. Like, I don't know what people are going to do in the breakout room. What are your thoughts on that? And do you put any thoughts into kind of mitigating issues that could happen when you're not in control of the learning experience? Because the moment you invite others into your learning experience, there is a certain level of wild card there. Yes. And I totally get where this is coming from. And the idea of not being in control can feel really scary. Even for myself, like for today's session, I am not quite sure what will happen. But this is also the fourth training session I'm doing with the same group. So I feel like I've already built trust. I built the connections with them. I feel confident that we can go there. But if you're just starting out, that definitely can feel scary. Just allowing people to unmute might be already a scary thing to do. I'm going back to the reason why I want this to be not just me talking is 
I feel like on one hand, I'm the expert. I gathered everyone here. I'm teaching some content. At the same time, I'm also a student. I want to learn what other things are in the room and I want to get feedback from people. What are they taking away from the things I'm sharing? To me, this is all a lot of experimentation and that will then make my next cohort even better. And I'm kind of doing this iterative process where to me, it's a conversation between me and the participants. How do I make sure that it's not going all over the place and turning into chaos? I set this up from the very beginning. For this specific cohort, they know this is the first time I'm teaching this. And in every session, I'm running experiments. I'm trying something I've never done before. And everybody opted in to basically be the guinea pigs and give me feedback. And together, we will find the learning. I will talk about things like take space and make space making sure that everybody has a chance to contribute, especially in breakout rooms where I want to make sure that it's not just one person talking for the full time. Everybody should have a chance to speak. So if you're a person that takes up a lot of space, maybe step back every once in a while and let other people take the floor. And if you're a person that usually doesn't speak that much or contribute that much, I'm going to invite you to challenge yourself and maybe contribute a little bit more without making it feel completely uncomfortable and make you want to leave the meeting, right? Everybody is in the end in control over their own experience. So if you want to get more out of it, then maybe you put more into it. Awesome. Anything else uh, you'd like to share or any other lessons learned you want to share with our listeners before we wrap up? One thing that I do in my courses that I have not seen anybody else do It'll really delight your students. I always make sure that I send out a recording. Now with all the AI tools, I'll make sure that I get them the AI summary with time codes so they can skip around. Sometimes it even auto creates chapters depending on your platform. But there's one thing that I always add to my recordings when everybody gets sent to breakout rooms. Because this is my moment when everybody has left the main room that I'm there by myself and I can talk to the person watching the recording. So I always leave these secret hidden messages, sometimes with uh, fun instructions or just like, hey, if you're watching this recording, here's what I want you to do right now. So they're watching the recording. They couldn't be there live, but they're still getting the benefit of the lesson that everybody else is doing in breakout rooms. Or sometimes it's literally just, hey, send me a quick message if you've seen this secret message and I'll send you a little gift or I'll send you a video message back just so... I create this moment of surprise for them because what I think most people do is either you edit out the time everybody's in the breakout room or you just leave it in and it's just this black screen and people skip over it. So I keep adding these secret messages, which also for me as the course creator is a way for testing, hey, who actually watched the recording? And whenever I get one of those responses or those messages, it makes me really happy that somebody's actually watching it. And if I want to connect it to building trust and connections, I mean... I'm now building a one-on-one -on -one relationship with that person who sent me the message because now I can actually continue the conversation. And when you're part of a large cohort as the student and the person who's leading it sends you a personal message, even if it's for everyone, like I'm speaking directly to that one person, it feels different. Like you're going to connect with that person differently. Do you have people who attended live watch the recording just for those messages? Now that they've caught up that this is happening... I've heard from some people they're scrubbing through to find the hidden messages. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jan, for taking the time with us. Now stick around for my favorite part of the show where Abe and Ari will pull out the best takeaways for you to apply to your course. All right, Ari, it's time for the debrief. 
and uh, it's a very it's a very in-depth sort of perspective we got you can tell that Jan is really immersed in this world of running effective live sessions virtual sessions so interesting to hear someone with that depth of experience there one thing that stood out in what Jan shared is his emphasis on like using breakout rooms or small groups which certainly is not a new technique other people have have talked about that but the emphasis that he placed on that was striking and different from how you know we've heard other people approach creating interactive sessions. So it was interesting to hear the weight, the importance that he placed on that technique. Yeah, it felt to me like in a way he sees it as inextricable part of the learning process if people aren't able to debrief together and kind of gain insight from others versus just the trainer. It feels like it's incomplete, which is interesting. I can absolutely see merit to that. We're always able to deepen our learning through conversation versus just listening and absorbing. Yeah. And it sounds like his perspective is that, you just, in, at least in his experience or in the model that he uses, that people get more value out of, for example, doing an exercise or responding to a question in that group format versus it's common in a workshop type format to give people an exercise or activity that they would do on their own. And so I guess the takeaway here is if people have been using that type of format where you're doing some presentation and giving people an exercise or a question to kind of answer on their own, could you translate that into a model where they do it in a small group instead and see if, if that's actually more powerful? Yeah, I feel like the importance of around making this work is, you know, making sure that the people have the trust, though, that there is that feeling that people can share whatever they're learning and actually share the way they're interpreting things. And he's doing it very intentionally, the kind of building of trust within the groups that he's facilitating, the idea of setting clear ground rules and guidelines, kind of community processes for everyone at the very start, I think is really, really important, especially for people who maybe are newer to this and are kind of concerned around, okay, but how will people react and behave when I don't have control? Well, I mean, that idea of building trust it itself was also an important point. It can be easy to assume trust, but his point, I think, is that you can't really assume it. You have to create it. And so intentionally designing activities that build connection both between the instructor, facilitator, and participants, and among participants themselves, either in small groups or in a larger community, that's something that I don't think we talk about very much and sounds like it could be really powerful, right? Like everyone wants this sort of, oh, I'm building community in my course and like I'm bringing people together, but it's not actually that easy to do. And so it sounds like one piece of that that may be neglected in a lot of cases is intentionally creating an environment of trust. And then from there, more can build. And uh, something that he pointed out with the example that he gave of the program that he's currently running, he's talking about the deeper interactions that he's going to be asking them to be doing. But he prefaced it with, I already know this group. I've been working with them. This is our fourth session, everyone together. And so making sure that as you're going deeper on the exercises that need trust, that also build trust, but need more trust, that that is happening gradually. Start small and then slowly grow to a point where people are able to be even more and more vulnerable each and every time. But don't go straight to like, okay, this exercise can build a lot of trust. Let me just throw everyone into it right off the bat. That's probably not going to work. Yeah, agreed.
The last thing that I think was really interesting and just I haven't heard of it before is that piece that he mentioned at the very end where he's bringing in the people who aren't able to attend live and are missing out on some of that community building, but he's still kind of inviting them into the fold with those secret messages and kind of additional exercises for them to do that are similar to what the other people in the group are actively doing while he's recording that. I think that's really interesting, really powerful, and something that anyone can easily implement the moment they're doing breakouts, or even if not, having that extra touch so that they feel more included is a great idea. And I think we should be seeing more of that. Yeah, totally agree. Jan Keck is the creator of Ask Deep Questions and the virtual facilitator training program that we discussed today. You can learn more about him and all he's got to offer over at jankeck.com. That's jankeck.com. Thank you for listening to Course Lab. I'm Abe Crystal, co-founder and CEO of RZQ, here with my co-host, Ari Eni. Course Lab is part of the Miracy FM podcast network, which also includes such shows as Once Upon a Business and Making It. If you don't want to miss the excellent episodes coming up on Course Lab, make sure to follow us on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And are you enjoying our show? If so, go ahead and leave us a starred review. It really does make a difference. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. All right, for our next episode, looks like we have Steve Cam coming in for an interview. Oh, awesome. The nerd fitness guy. He's really awesome. I'm looking forward to the conversation.